Blog Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Thursday edition of the Sim Bin, uh, and I want to apologize. We didn't have it on Tuesday like we normally do this week because of uh, the ske- scheduling conflicts between your two hosts, uh, but we are here now, and I've got on the line my co-host, Otto Rogers. Otto, how are you tonight? You know what? It's 70 degrees, and the sun is shining, so I'm doing great. <laughs> ah, you know, it's we actually had really good weather in Yakima today, too, although I've been indoors most of the day, so I, I haven't really enjoyed it. But I was actually in Seattle over the weekend, and I didn't get 70 degrees and sunny. I got rain and drizzle. So what's up with that, Otto? <laughs> why, why does Seattle's weather not like me? Well, so apparently, you know, when, when out-of-towns come in, that's when it gets all rainy. And then once they leave, then it just becomes sunny like it normally is. I think that's what then it is. it's all good. <laughs> then it's all good. Uh, but, no, I, I was in Seattle twice um, the last few days. And, um, you know, even in the rain, Seattle's a great town, so it was fun to go there. Um, and I actually, uh, over the weekend, I experienced um, the Angry Beaver. And uh, I, I've been hearing about that, that bar for a while now. And I, my wife and I, Went in there Saturday night, had a chance to sit, sit down and relax and, and talk to the owner, really nice guy. And I I finally was able to try what everyone's been telling me about, which is the poutine. And uh, Now, what, what did you, Paul, what, what did you, uh, what did you get? I, I got the poutine. Okay. Oh, they, they have the poutine, and then they have the flight, which is like a sampler with three different Three different kinds of. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I had, I had the one with I had the one with beef gravy. Okay. And it, and it was really good. You know, it's an it's a good comfort food. I can see why people like it so much. Um, but it, you know, I I just love the atmosphere in there. Um, yeah. Everyone was just nice and relaxed. Now I I was on there and I was in there and it, even though it was a Saturday, it was kind of a slow night. I don't think there was that many. Uh, games going on, but uh, the owner uh, was telling me that when we have uh, big game nights and we're coming up on NHL playoffs here pretty quick, that uh, the Angry Beaver gets really uh, loud and boisterous and uh, sounds like standing room only. And uh, so we're coming right up on that. So one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is the NHL playoff scenario uh, we're going to touch on that in our first segment. And then um, there's a gentleman named John Sloan uh, who's going to join us, and he's going to talk about um, the effort to bring a, com- a community uh, youth sports complex to the Seattle area, and, and that involves some ice rinks, which we which we really need desperately. 
Um, and then we're going to top off the, the show tonight with a discussion of WHL playoffs. Um, but Otto, what, what's your impressions of the way the NHL playoff scenarios are shaping up? I mean, uh, who do you like uh, when you look at the Western Conference? What do you see happening there, playoff-wise? Well, I think I think the you know one of one of the biggest takeaways for me is you know watching you know the LA Kings right now. Um, you know they're kind of you know they've been really hot since the fifth, and but they haven't really been in the playoff picture because they've been kind of scuffling in the, you know earlier in the season. Um, but they're trying to become they're trying to uh, they're trying not to become the first Stanley Cup champion since the Carolina Hurricanes uh, back in 2007 not to make the playoffs. Um, but their last you know last 20 or so games are 15 five and two, and so they're definitely yeah. kind of in a race with Winnipeg, Calgary, and Minnesota um, to, you know, to get those final couple of playoff spots. So it'll be interesting to card. see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so they, they've they gone 15-5-2 and two to get back into the race, and they're still kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, I yeah. looked at the standings a few days back, and they were actually uh, they, they were actually listed as a wild card team. But uh, what – what do you attribute to the way they started their season to? I mean, why did they start off so slow? You know, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it was the Stanley Cup hangover. I, you know, they, you know, I don't, I don't remember seeing any like major injuries to that team. But maybe, maybe it's just the the team just kind of coming together at the right time, um, and and finally, you know, playing up to their potential to kind of make that last run against the playoffs. But you know, I haven't, you know. I don't think there were any major injuries uh, coming out of LA, and I know uh, I believe Quick was play, pretty much played the entire season, I believe. Um, so I'm not really sure why they're hot. But the troubling thing is for the Kings is, you know, the teams are chasing the teams kind of in front of them: Minnesota, Winnipeg, Calgary. They're all they're, none of them are falling apart. So you know they're all kind of grinding out wins. So it's just going to be it's going to be a grind to the finish to see who gets the, you know, the final two uh, wild card spots. Right. Okay. And uh, apparently the Kings have a big game coming up. Tell me about that game. Well, they're playing, they're playing the, um, they're playing the Islanders tonight. And um, let's see what's the score. Um, They're playing the Islanders tonight. So the game started probably a couple of hours ago and uh, they're tied 2-2 in the third. So there's a lot of big games. A lot of big early games going on right now, um, and uh, LA and Islanders are, one, are are two of the big ones, uh, one of the big ones, and they're tied two two in the third. So that that goes a long way. If the Kings can win tonight, that will really help their positioning uh, as we kind of enter the final couple weeks of the playoffs or uh, to the playoffs. Okay. All right. What's going on in the Eastern Conference? You know, the Eastern Conference. It's a really tight race up top. Um, you have uh, you have Montreal, Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay, and, and the Rangers kind of all kind of jockeying for the overall number one uh, spot. Um, I think Montreal's at 100 points, and both Tampa Bay and the Rangers are at 99. Uh, Montreal they kind of scuffling in the last 10 games. I want to say they're like four, you know, five, three, and two. Tampa Bay they've just been out, going out of their minds. They've uh, they've gone eight, one, and one in the last 10, and so kind of a race to finish and. Um, uh, the Rangers, you know, I think they're seven, uh, seven, two and one in the last ten games, and uh, they're supposed to be getting back uh, King Henry, uh, uh, King Henrik uh, 
pretty soon. He's supposed to he's set to return off the injury reserve list. Um and so, you know, it'll be good to see, you know, how how long it'll take him to kinda of get back in that starters starter role. But uh Cam Talbot, uh he's been you know, he's been he's been admirable uh replacing uh Hendrick since he's been out. But that's a time okay. I mean All right. It's always good to get someone of the caliber of Lundquist though back though, isn't it? Definitely, and well, and then so the Rangers are playing tonight. They're playing. They're playing um, the Senators, and they're they are crushing the Senators five to one. So it looks like they're going to go on their uh, way to a win. And, okay. And, but uh, speaking of the Senators, though, <laughs> Senators, uh, the Senators just recently um, took away took away the overtook the second wild wild card spot from the from the Bruins. And uh, they've been playing huge. They, they, they had this backup goalie who stepped in by the name of Andrew Hammond, and he's gone 14-0-1 in the last 15 games. And they're on fire, but they are down big time to the Rangers right now, 5-1, with about 20 seconds left in the second period. Okay. Um, so Hammond isn't having the best game tonight, or maybe he's not starting. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's starting or not, um, but, you know, the guy's the guy's gone fourteen oh one fast past fifteen games. I think uh, he's you know he's due to have a bad game, and uh, you know and if you're going to have a bad game, you know the Rangers are one of the best teams in the NHL, so that kind of makes sense. You know everyone everyone lays an egg every once in a while, you know. Right, definitely, definitely. I know I do on a on a frequent basis. All right, so. <laughs> Um, who do we have? So that that uh, quantifies the wild card race in in the West a little bit. What's going on towards the top? Hey, the top, you know, it's really close up top. You have you know you have Anaheim, Nashville, Anaheim and uh, St. Louis right now at the top. Nashville is just one point one point behind. This is like the big three, kind of like in the East. Um, all three teams have kind of they've kind of stumbled of late, so. I'm not really sure what to make of it, but Nashville, um, they, they they picked it up a little bit recently. They they won they won the last two games, but um, it's going to be a race for the finish. But those three teams, because after outside of those three teams, there's a big drop off to to Vancouver and to Chicago. Um, but it's going to be one of the three teams, and I'm not sure how I'm not I don't know how it's going to play out. But um, you know, any any of those three teams can definitely win. They all, they all have great. Uh, great teams. Um, I know Nashville and St. Louis. They have really good goalies as well. I'm not. I'm not too sure of Anaheim's goalie, but um, Nashville has one of the best goalies in the game, and I know St. Louis has a really good goalie as well. So it's going to be an interesting uh, race to watch as we kind of count out the final uh, eight, ten games. Okay. All right. Um, so Otto, is there is there is there a word that rhymes with McDavid? Because in, in the in the in the NFL uh, three or four years ago, uh, there was a phrase for the campaign called "suck for luck." In other words, um, everyone oh, wanted their team to suck. For, they wanted everyone, they wanted the team to suck uh, and get the worst record in the NFL. So the, of course they could, dra- they could draft uh, Andrew Luck. Um, <laughs> and apparently, uh, we have the same thing going on in the NHL this year, but it's for uh, a young man named Connor McDavid. Tell me about Connor McDavid. 
yeah, you know, everyone, a lot, a lot of the media pundits and a lot of fans are talking about how, how all the teams are tanking for McDavid. Connor McDavid, he, you know, he's just a really, really uh, great talent. Um, you could just, just watch him on clips and just watching the occasional games that are on the NHL network. He literally is a man, a man amongst boys. I mean, he physically, he looks bigger than a lot of the other players. He's just so skilled. Like it's, if the game comes easy to him, like it's almost like it, it's effortless for him. And and I want to say he's you know he's putting up like two points like two points a game. So he's dominating. Wow. At, dominating at his you know fourth competition at his level. Um, so you know you know they compare they call him a generational talent. So like a once every ten ten to fifteen year kind of talent coming out. So, and, and what uh, position does he play? He plays center. I, I believe he plays center. Play center. So, you know, he, he he's he's definitely gonna be you know the the focus um, going forward for any team. And you know, you you have three teams right now, at, you know, that are shooting for the shooting for kind of kind of that spot. You know, you have Buffalo, they're leading the tank fest with forty seven points, and then Arizona's right behind with fifty two. And Edmonton is kind of uh, uh, running up the rear with uh, 55. But um, look out for the Maple Leafs. Uh, they're really pushing hard. They've, they've lost six straight games, and they're 1-8-1 one, and one in their last 10. Although um, they're a little bit away from the top top three, um, they might just start losing every single game. And so for the Connor McDavid, the Connor McDavid Bowl tonight, uh, Arizona is, winning the, or is losing the Connor McDavid Bowl because they're beating Buffalo 3-2. to two. In the third, so um, okay. it looks like if Buffalo loses, it looks like Buffalo can get the overall number one uh, pick, and uh, we'll see who gets their uh, name taken in the draft, um, lottery draft on April 18th. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm a little torn here because, um, as you well know, I frequently get made fun of in by uh, traditional hockey fans because. Uh, I kind of adopted the Edmonton Oilers as one of my teams, and um, and you you say they're in third place for the McDavid sweepstakes. Um, yeah. What what do they need to do to pull ahead? I mean, how can they how can they really tank the rest well, of these they're, games? They're well, they're about they're eight points ahead on on uh, Buffalo, so you know it would so it's they really have no shot then. They, they, yeah, I don't think they're going to have a shot. There's, it, there really isn't. But here's the great thing about the 2015 draft, the great, the best thing about this draft. It is so deep. Jack Eichel, the the, clear, the consensus number two, he would be a consensus mm-hmm. number one in, in essentially every draft we've had the past probably eight to ten years. That's how good of a player mm-hmm. he is. You know, and, and these guys kind of ring up top five. Uh, uh, Marner and Str- Dylan Strome and Mitch Marner, those guys are like top one or two picks in most other drafts as well. So when you're looking right. at the lottery pro- lottery process, if you're in the top five, you got you know you have a, a future you know pro you know pro not pro bowl sorry the football still <laughs> in my brain yeah you have a future NHL All Star that you're drafting that's how deep this uh, lottery is. So you might lose the Carter okay. McDavid sweepstakes. But you're gonna still pick up, you know, a first team kind of guy, a first line kind of guy. So um, right. I'm not gonna to shed too many tears. I mean, the only tears I'm shedding was 
I ho- I had hoped that Seattle would be able to get an expansion franchise this year, so we could have had a crack at the Connor McDavid sweepstakes. But alas, that did not happen. <laughs> well, the the fact though that Arizona is in the is in the sweepstakes um, oh, that Paul. could that that could have some, some implications. I mean, we look, we don't want to we don't want to root for <laughs> failure or anything, but. I mean, let's face it, Arizona's a mess down in Glendale, and, you know, they they could in a few years become a relocation candidate again. And if if uh, expansion has not been granted to Seattle uh, by then, Arizona could be an option for Seattle. Uh, I uh, continue uh, to, to root for expansion. Are you going to scold me now? Uh, I, you know what? I will never, I will never wish upon a France, another fan base, that I, you know, I want your team. But right. if a team was happened to leave, then I would welcome a team with open arms. But I will say, Dare to Dream 2018. Um, what was that? I, I will say, Dare to Dream 2018. 2018. 2018. So that, that, yeah. That is the that is the supposed end of the the five year uh, possible out clause. For ice Arizona to get out yeah. of the deal, yeah. So I, I really, I really think, yeah, I really think that we're going to have a team before that. Um, I, I, I hope you so. know, even though Arizona is a is a, a long shot, you know, if things go south down in the next several years, I, you know, more and more I get the feeling um, that we're going to get that NHL first modification to our MOU, um, and more and more I get the feeling that the politicians are positioning themselves to be the champion for it. And I just have a feeling that uh, Victor Coleman is going to step, step in and get that done. What do you think? I think so too. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I, I think it's entirely possible that we might have a team uh, for the, you know, the 20, uh, 2017, 2018 uh, season. But if we don't, you know, what a great way to open up a brand new building with, uh, a possible contending Coyotes team led by the NHL All-Star Connor McDavid. <laughs> right. That would that would you be know, like the, kind of like Oklahoma City Thunder uh, that kind of situation where they you know they got you know they pretty much got like a an NBA championship quality caliber team right away. So you know I I, I feel the need to correct you on one thing, Otto. Oh. Um, you, you, you're calling the Coyotes. You're calling the Coyotes. And as, as our brethren over at National Public Radio have taught us, the, the, correct, pronunciation, the correct pronunciation is coyotes. 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 Not coyotes. Coyotes. And speaking okay. of, <laughs> yeah, speaking of um, our friends over at National Public Radio, we're going we're gonna to listen to one of their segments here in a minute. And when we come back after a short break, uh, we're going to talk to Mr. John Sloan uh, about the effort to um, turn a reservoir into an ice rink. And we're going to do that in just a minute. Good afternoon. I'm Tiffany Francisca Jelly Nongo. And I'm David Luis Gonzalez Chakrabarti. Thanks for joining us on NPR's Hockey Talk. Our first story. Pittsburgh Penguins goalie Marc-André Fleury made 31 saves for his league-leading ninth shutout of the NHL season as they topped the Los Angeles Kings 
one nil. You know, David, it wasn't pretty, but the penguins are happy to grind out those tough road winds down the stretch. Trenchant insight indeed, Tiffany. With only five weeks to go in the season, the victory moves Pittsburgh into a tie with the Rangers for second place in the Metropolitan Division. The Penguins still trail the Islanders by three points in the standings. In our next story, the Phoenix Coyotes may be on the move again, and the social justice implications may be troubling. Join us after the break. This is Hockey Talk on National Public Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Drop that puck! 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 Take a seat, because you've just been sent to the sin bin with your host, recently returned from his forced deportation to Canada and that country's subsequent refusal to accept him, at NPR's Hockey Talk, uh, but welcome back to the Sin Bin, and I'm here with my host, with my co-host, Otto Rogers, once again, and waiting on the line uh, patiently has been John Sloan, and and John is the the uh, one of the leaders of a movement to create what's called the Roosevelt Community Sports Center. Now, um, as Otto and I have talked about in recent weeks, ever since we interviewed Craig Custance that first episode... And ESPN's Craig Custance told us that one of the things lacking in Seattle for long-term success in the NHL uh, was uh, the development of a grassroots-level effort for hockey in Seattle. And uh, if you talk to um, if you talk to most hockey people in the area, uh, that's going to involve youth hockey. And one of the deficiencies that Seattle has is a lack of ice. So. Uh, John Sloan, um, what is this Roosevelt Community Sports Center, and how can that help out um, grassroots hockey in the Northwest? Well, I think you said it, uh, Paul and Otto, I, I, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, the, the lack of ice space in Seattle is astounding when you compare it to other cities. We uh, really don't have viable ice space for youth hockey in the city limits. You know, we've got Highland Ice up at the very north boundary of the city, but none of the youth programs are playing there currently. Uh, the Seattle Junior Hockey Association plays in Linwood and Mount Lake Terrace, which are 15 miles north of I-5 uh, from the city limits, and that's a difficult thing for families in the city to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm a coach, and I have a son in the program there. Uh, I drive five, six days a week on, on I-5 in rush hour to get my kid to practice and to, to do what we love doing. And that makes it kind of a non-option for you know, most of the families in the city. So as far as growth of the sport in Seattle, you know, lack of ice space, that's the limiting factor. We need to get more uh, rinks in, in the city limits. 
Uh, with our project at Roosevelt, there's a, a, a reservoir property that the city is considering decommissioning and surplusing about somewhere between 15 and 17 acres. It's uh, immediate to I-5. It's a couple of miles north of the It's pretty ideal from it's three blocks John, from a John, I'm sorry. station. You're cutting yeah. out a little bit. Uh, you're cutting out a little bit. Um, I missed what you said. It was you said it was north of where? Uh, of the University of Washington. So we're okay. just a couple of miles north, and University of Washington has a club team. They travel up to Linwood as well. So our uh, the facility we'd like to build would be very convenient for them too, and we would build it to the to the specs that would support a, a university team as well as potentially an NHL practice team. Um, okay. The, the, the idea we have is that when the city decommissions this site, they'll put it up for a surplus. They'll need to show that they're going to do something with it that'll benefit the community and that'll produce tax revenues and other things. And we've got a plan together that'll show them that. And we think that the community will get behind. Um, Ultimately, our biggest task right now is to work with the neighborhood, in particular the Roosevelt Neighborhood Association, because this is smack dab at the gateway to their neighborhood, and we don't want to do anything that would detract from the, the quality of living that they have. Um, so we're working closely with them, and we're putting together a plan that would provide indoor recreation, such as gymnastic space, aquatic center, uh, two full-time ice sheets as well as a third seasonal ice sheet that would rotate out with lacrosse in the off-season uh, and an outdoor turf pitch for soccer. Um, in addition to the sports amenities, we would add uh, residential components. You know, you got to pay for this somehow. So we would have to take a portion of the land, make it available for residential development and commercial development. Um, and ideally, we would support senior living homes, uh, active senior living space, uh, low and potentially affordable housing, because I know there's a need for that in this neighborhood, um, and then family-style housing, as well as a community center and uh, two or three acres of green space. So we think the balance of things we put together, which you can look at at www.rooseveltcsc.org, uh, kind of strike the balance that we need to make this a really attractive thing for the city of Seattle and to further hockey in particular. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, your web address. And those of you that are listening are probably listening through um, our article at sonicsrising.com. And just so you know, we have a link uh, to your website in that article. So if anyone didn't catch that, you can just check out our article and you can just click on the link. Um, so uh, you mentioned that there are two permanent rinks um, that, that are ice rinks all year round, but, and you also mentioned that there's one that's going to kind of go back and forth. How, do, how does that work? You're going to switch between ice hockey and uh, various field sports. How, how's that going to work? Yeah, it, uh, we go up to Burnaby a lot to play up in D.C., uh, just outside of Vancouver, and they have a, a complex there with eight ice rinks, a couple of which are rotated out seasonally with uh, soccer and lacrosse sports and other things that you know are indoors but don't require ice. And you can build these things these days so that you can melt the ice out at the end of hockey season in March, put down turf, and play another sport until September, October, when the hockey season kicks back in. It's a way to get a lot more utility out of the ice mm -hmm. surface or out of the playing surface. Um, as you know, you know most of the, the hockey activity goes on between September and March, 
uh, and then there's a lot of difficulty renting the ice space uh, between, you know, the spring and summer months. So making them more versatile and making them uh, available to other sports both increases the cross-training opportunities for our young athletes, our young hockey athletes, and it also just makes it more financially viable for the developer. Okay. Um, so, and I'm looking at the, the picture that you have on your website of the development proposal, and I'm looking at the rink one, and I'm looking at rink two, and I'm looking at that multi-purpose rink. Um, size-wise, how do these rinks, uh, are they, uh, would you say that they're NHL size or are they smaller size for youth, or what, how big are these rinks going to be? These are NHL size rinks, and we've drawn them generously, so they're probably closer to Olympic size. Uh, we don't want to uh, draw things so tightly that uh, somebody goes to engineer a plan and finds that you don't have the space you thought you had. So in all cases, we put a plus or minus 5% margin of error on the polygons that you see on our site plan drawings. So these are okay. full-size NHL ice sheets. Uh, the seasonal sheet would not be a full-size soccer pitch, but it would be the same size as most indoor soccer pitches are. Okay. And I'm looking at rink one, and it looks like you uh, have some seating around that. Is that is that correct, huh? Uh, how many seats are you envisioning putting around Rink 1? Uh, we do have seats around Rink 1, and the hope would be that uh, we would track the dub to play there or at, at potentially the Seattle Totems, which is um, – and the seats we, we think would be necessary to support that would be at least 2,000 seats. This gets a 3, little 000? bit sticky. Yeah, 2,000 which is more than uh, the, the venue they currently play in up at Olympic View Arena, which is a fantastic arena in where it uh, has as far less mm-hmm. than that. So it would be an expansion over where they play now. Um, the, you know, the, one of the things we want to be sensitive to is this whole complex that we hope to build is smack in the middle of the Roosevelt neighborhood, and it's surrounding by, surrounded by homes. And we don't want to build something that's such a venue that draws in traffic and noise and commotion it would disrupt or not be compatible with the neighborhood. So we were kind of trying to toe that line between building something that would be viable as a, a semi-pro kind of facility, but not one that would be such that you'd get thousands of people coming to an event um, that would disrupt the kind of neighborhood feel of the surroundings. Right. Okay, now you, you briefly touched on this um, at the start of our conversation. Uh, how many in the Seattle area? How many total rinks are there right now? Would you say the only one? Uh, there's the Seattle area, as opposed to Seattle proper. You know, within the city limits, there's one rink up at the far north end, uh, Highland Ice Arena. It's been around for I think 50 years, um, and there are some adult rec leagues that play out of that facility, but none of the junior uh, leagues do. Uh, beyond that, there's a couple of rinks in Linwood and Mount Lake Terrace, which are 15, 20 minutes north of the city, and then there's a rink in Everett. Um, there's rinks to the east uh, in Kirkland on the other side of Lake Washington, and further south in Renton and Kent. Uh, you know, there's kind of a a ring of rinks around the city that are all 15 to 20 miles at least away. Uh, all quite inconvenient because the traffic, as you know, in Seattle is horrible. Uh, so trying to get to these, if you live in Seattle, is a real disincentive to take the sport up. 
travel mm-hmm. is to really build a lot more. So that sounds like that sounds like there's about that sounds like about six rinks total in the area. Uh, six or seven. I know the adult rec league I play in. I think there's seven rinks that we play out of. Um, so what you're proposing is to is basically a 50 percent increase over our, um, above our total current rink capacity. Would that be about accurate? That would be accurate. And and when you compare it to the investment the city's made in soccer fields and football fields and baseball fields, uh, you know, hockey is, is it's probably an understatement to say that it's poorly served. It's almost completely unserved by the city as a sport compared to these other investments they've made. So we think just uh, two or three sheets of ice with some some city funding and some private funding uh, makes a lot of sense, and there's a real equity benefit out of it. Um, I would also like to say that, you know, we're, we're building in North Seattle, in Roosevelt, which is the sort of north of downtown area, uh, and there's another push to build rinks in south of downtown. It's called the Ice Rink in Seattle.org group, and they're looking at building uh, rinks in the Rainier Valley or possibly in West Seattle, and we're kind of working together because we think that's an ideal strategy. You have some rinks at the north end of town and some rinks at the south end of town. Um, you could host tournaments that would be supported by both complexes, and uh, there's also an equity benefit about spreading the rinks around instead of just having them in the more affluent north end. Okay. I I, I saw something on that other development, and what I thought of first was, is this competition for your project or is it complementary? And it sounds like you're saying it's complementary. Yeah, absolutely complimentary. You know, if, if our if our project hits roadblocks, we'll be their biggest supporter. I think we're their biggest supporter anyway. Um, but you really, in the long term, you need to envision these both of these complexes occurring together uh, to grow the sport in our city. That sounds good. Otto, what do you think of all of this? No, this is great news. Uh, John, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hey, so I had, I had a question on, on your website, um, on, on the Roosevelt website. It said it was, um, that the SPU, they're going to start a two-year test in the spring of 2013, and that we should be finding out maybe 2015 um, if, if the reservoir is no longer needed. Do you have any updates on where we are at with that testing process? Yeah, I actually uh, had a conversation with a city planner yesterday. Uh, and there were two things going on with the city. The first was they wanted to take this reservoir offline, which they did a couple of years ago. They drained it, and they wanted to study to see whether or not they could live without it. Uh, and the reason they want to do this is because if they need it, they have to bury it underground, which costs probably $100 million, and they don't want to spend that money if they don't have to. Um, and the, the result of that study is that it probably isn't necessary to provide potable water to the city. It's sort of superfluous or, or more than they need. So they could decommission it on that basis. The second thing they're doing is looking at whether or not the overall water supply system is uh, vulnerable to earthquake, in which case if we have an earthquake, you got to have a water supply to put out fires in the immediate hours after the earthquake. And these re- reservoirs, even though they're not needed for potable water, may be needed as a fire suppression source. So they're undertaking a one-year study to make that determination. And the result of that will be to say, okay, even if this reservoir is needed, we can look at alternative ways to provide fire suppression water. So we're confident that even if, 
even if the, the system needs this reservoir, the value that the reservoir has for other uses, such as these sports complexes, exceed that of a reservoir, and they'll look for other ways to accomplish the reservoir's objectives. So it, it all looks, in, in, in short, you know, I'm a kind of a planner wonk, so I, I kind of talk about this stuff endlessly, but um, in short, I think there's a lot of cause for enthusiasm and hope that this property will become available for a use that, uh, like what we're proposing. Right. And, and just one more, uh, one more question. Um, what, what? I know you guys had like a, a, you know, you guys had a public forum event back in November where you uh, had your plan. When's, the, when's your next, uh, you know, public comment event or uh, next time, you know, that this is you're going to present this to the public or or some other board? Well, that's a good question. We. We kind of started designing and working with a team of people that uh, wanted to get out in front of this and push it real hard, and we realized that we needed to be more in touch with the neighborhood. Um, if the neighborhood doesn't support this, it's not going to go anywhere. So we've right. got to sit down at neighborhood association meetings and figure out how to make this compatible with the neighborhood, how to make this exciting to them, uh, and, and that's kind of what we're doing now. So we've been a little quiet for a few months, and we're getting ready to really start start working hand-in-hand in hand with the neighborhood. Okay. Once we get something, and I'm confident we will, that the neighborhood supports, the next thing will be to start a more political-based advocacy push. Uh, we want to create a vision plan that illustrates all of these great ideas that we have about the different land uses on the site, including ice rinks, and then take them to the city council, take them to the mayor, and start to generate support uh, along those lines. And then in a couple of years, or well, actually a year, when they make a decision about decommissioning this site, hopefully we'll have a, uh, developed a plan that's got some momentum and that will uh, sort of prevail when the city goes through a surplus process. Right. That's that's great. And just one final question from me. Um, is there anything right now that people who are interested in hockey, people who are listening to this podcast who support youth hockey, is there anything we can do right now? Outside of going to um, your Facebook. Go to the uh, website or Facebook page and give us your name and your interest and in, in how you'd like to help. And, and there's, you know, if you just want to help us print flyers and put them on doors at some point, that's great. If you have contacts, uh, you know, we've, we've been approached by investors. We've been approached, our, our project team includes real estate folks, lawyers. All, we've got real talent working for us in various disciplines, uh, and we can use more help. So, if you send us a note saying, I'd like to help, I'm keeping a, a giant spreadsheet with everybody's name and their interests and what they'd like to help with. And at right. the right time when this thing is right, we're going to pull the trigger and employ all those people to start working hard on it. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Great. Hey, John, uh, you mentioned earlier that you want this to be um, something that the community around, that the neighborhood around the the, the site would support. And you've had uh, a community meeting or two so far. What's your impression um, about the support level in the neighborhood so far? It's, I don't want to say it's mixed. I'd say it's supportive, but with uh, sort of some caution. People want to make sure that what gets built uh, in and around their neighborhood is not going to create more traffic uh, that they can't deal with, the noise or impacts at night, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of questions, but there's also a lot of excitement. Um, we've gotten 
incredibly positive feedback, both from neighbors and from people in the region beyond, about the project. So I'm confident that the idea has real merit and that we can get to a point where everybody will support well. You can never get everybody to support something, but you can get 99% of everybody to support it, um, and that's what we'll need, and that's our goal. Uh, that said, you know, we want to, we again want to stress that we're going to work through the neighborhood associations and make sure that what we put out there is going to be something they're really going to embrace. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to uh, be honest with you here. I, I'm not, I don't live in Seattle. Um, I come over once in a while. I, I, I actually live in the Yakima Valley. And so I, I don't remember if I've ever seen this Roosevelt Reservoir. Um, I don't know if it's considered to be an eyesore or something like that, or I don't know if it's considered to be, you know, kind of pretty to look at. Um, what what do you think visually this is going to look like in that neighborhood compared to just looking at the reservoir? Do you think it'll be uh, something more pleasant to look at? Well, that's a, an interesting question. You're right now surrounded by a chain link fence. Uh, which precludes any sort of public access on the property other than the two acres at the south end, which is an existing park. Uh, the reservoir, when it's full, which it hasn't been for two years, um, you could say was better to look at than a warehouse, for sure. You know, and it, it afforded some views across towards the Olympic Mountains. Um, but the design, as we would envision it, wouldn't uh, det- it would detract because it would change things but it would also make things more um, interesting in our opinion. We've got an architect on the team who's drawn up some concept sketches that look really cool. We want to build uh, pea patch gardens and what we're calling food forests all around the property, try to produce some actual food on the site, uh, which is an interesting idea in some of the marginal areas. Uh, We've got public art spaces planned, plazas, that sort of thing. So certainly it would go from more of a uh, sort of open feeling to a more dense urban feeling, but we're in a dense urban environment here. Uh, and being dense and urban affords some things that you don't get with uh, a chain-linked uh, lot. So I, I think the aesthetics can be managed and people will be really pleased with, with the outcome. Okay. And so one last question or maybe a couple related questions. Um as with many things uh, of this level, a lot of times uh, people want to hear what the bottom line is. Um, so um, I guess my question is kind of two-part. How much would this project cost, or maybe three-part, how much would this project cost? Uh, and is this something that would be publicly funded or privately funded or a combination of the two? Um, and if it's private, how much money do you still need to raise? So how it will be paid for is still somewhat up in the air, but we've designed a financial model that we think works. So you've got a piece of land, 15 to 17 acres that the city owns that's worth a lot of money. It's in an urban area, three blocks from the light rail station, good highway access, et cetera, in a nice neighborhood. Um, The city can't give that land away to a developer to build ice rinks or anything else. They have to be compensated for it. So as part of the surplus process, we need to show a financial model that realizes value for the city that equates to the value of the land. And the way we do that is we give some of the land up to a developer for commercial and residential development around the margins. 
Um, that would have great value to a developer. This is a quickly, I think we're the fastest growing city in America, and the land values here are skyrocketing. So the city has an asset there that it can really capitalize on. The proceeds from that would go towards funding the public benefits in the ice rink, the aquatic center, the outdoor turf field, and the community center. Um, the sort of back of the envelope math works, but there's a whole lot that has to happen before you figure out exactly the proportion of different land uses and city contribution of land that would be needed. So, you know, we wouldn't be working on this as hard as we are if we didn't think the financial model was viable. Um, but there's still a lot of work to do. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly. Let me just say real quick, it's a, it's a public-private partnership that would make this work, and that seems to be the trend these days, you know, leveraging public land against private capital investment um, to generate public benefits. And it's, you know, this is the perfect site to do it. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, which is um, not necessarily guaranteed, <laughs> um, you're, what you're saying is you're going to – to, to fund a lot of this with the the value of the land itself, if if, this, if uh, the powers that be are, are in agreement, primarily. And if you know, if you look at what Christopher Hansen's proposal down in Soto with his arena, uh, he's relying in part on tax revenues to show that there's uh, not a public subsidy. So if you consider that there are zero tax revenues generated on the site now, the site may be worth twenty or thirty million dollars. You can give up some of that 20 or 39 million to a developer on the promise of building 10 or 20 million dollars worth of public benefits plus the revenue uh, potential that that generates over time. So it's it's a you know they do this up in Canada quite often these public-private partnerships to build ice rinks and we're emulating that model largely here. Okay, and um, I guess one last question here. Um, who would you envision running this? Would it be uh, the government? Would it be a private foundation? What, how do you envision this being ran once it's built? Well, again, we're, our group is just creating the vision plan for this, and we'll suggest uh, viable financial models and viable operating models for the future, but ultimately it would be up to the city um, or a developer that won, won the bid uh, to get the project. But uh, as I envision it, it would be publicly owned. The majority of the site would remain under public ownership, if not all the site. The city would lease land to the developer uh, to build commercial and residential uh, units uh, over time at some subsidized rate so that, it was, so that it made sense. And then you'd hire a third-party management group like Canland Sports, or there's a number of them out there. Canland, I think, is the largest uh, to come in and manage the at least the ice facility. We also have interest from the YMCA to build a facility on the site, and they, through public-private partnership, would help us build the aquatic uh, portion. So it would be somewhat privately owned, probably the, the minor part of it. Uh, the majority of the site would remain publicly owned and leased out in perpetuity for the revenue that that would generate. Okay. Well, John, this sounds like a really exciting idea and a really exciting project, and it sounds like something that would really benefit Seattle. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll just say I hope it gets to the point where uh, the people in the neighborhood support it and the city can sign off on it. Well, we appreciate any support we can get, and there's certainly a need for ice around here, and this, this is an incredibly untapped market for growing our sport. So. 
any help you can offer, we appreciate it. We appreciate the opportunity to talk to people on your show. All right. Well, John, I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime as the project gets closer. And uh, uh, I, I hope you enjoyed your time here, and uh, I hope that people go to your website and support you as much as they possibly can. So thanks for coming on, John, and have a great night. Thank you, guys. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. All right. That was John Sloan, and who is one of the, and perhaps the leader of the movement to build what's called the Roosevelt Community Sports Center, which, as, as you heard earlier, would effectively increase the amount of rink space in the Seattle area, not, not just Seattle proper, but in the Seattle area yeah. by about 50%. Otto, what did you think of that conversation? Uh, it was it was a great conversation. I mean, he he went into a lot of the, excuse me, he went into a lot of the details, you know, um, of you know, you know, looking at the important things such as, you know, they they have all the plans, they're getting the plans ready, get they're talking, they're kind of laying the groundwork, they're found they're 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 that foundation with the neighborhood association, and 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 you know, start working on the different financial models. So it seems like they have everything ready to go. We just kind of need that. Uh, you know, that result back from the Seattle Public Utilities say, like, hey, you know, we're going to shut this down. We're going to open this up to bidding. And when that happens, it seems like John and his team of uh, uh, team of people at Roosevelt, they have a, they're going to have a plan ready to go. They're going to hopefully have a neighborhood behind them. And, and, you know, hopefully this thing can get done in, you know, two, three years. But it looks really promising. That's a really, really great neighborhood. It's, it's just north of University of Washington, um, you know. So that's a gr- it, it's a great neighborhood. I mean, I could see that that kind of kind of mixed use facility really adding to the quality of life, uh, not just you know not just you know hockey fans, but and ho- hockey players, but with all the different pieces with lacrosse, with how popular lacrosse is, and the soccer field. That would be a perfect perfect location for that kind of thing kind of serve uh serve that uh population north you know north of uh you know in, in northern Seattle. So that's a you know that was a great interview. You know, I hope we have we have them on again. Yeah, I I I imagine we will. And I, I think eventually we'll have uh one of the leaders of that other movement that he mentioned across town. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but we'll we'll have it on here. We'll have them on here sometime as well. If you're if, for those of you who are what's that auto uh, it's icerinkinseattle.org. Icerinkinseattle.org. All right. So yeah. go ahead and check that website out, everyone. And for those of you um, that maybe you're like me and you're not as familiar with uh, uh, all the geography of the Seattle area and you're wondering where this project is, it is at the intersection of 12th Avenue Northeast and Northeast 70, uh, the intersection of 12th Avenue Northeast and Northeast 75th Street and it is between 12th Avenue Northeast and 15th Avenue. Okay, so um, everyone, I really encourage everyone to jump on board and support that movement if you can. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the WHL playoff picture. Good morning. I'm Tiffany Trewicki Goldberg. And I'm David Gustafson Chang. And this is Hockey Talk on National Public Radio. Our top story... 
playoffs are just around the corner with only six weeks to go in the NHL regular season. The Nashville Predators have hit a rough patch, losing six consecutive games, but still remain in a strong position for the stretch run. Meanwhile, early this season, the goaltending of Michael Hutchinson was one of the highlights for the Winnipeg Jets, but ever since the All-Star break, the rookie netminder has fallen apart as the Minnesota Wild and the Los Angeles Kings began to charge hard for the wild card spots. In the 13 games Hutchinson has played since the All-Star break, he's posted an SP below 900 in seven games, while posting a mark above 920 just seven times. Hmm. That's just not going to get it done, David. How very apropos. Sources indicate the coaching staff is employing new methods to get Hutchinson's mind back into the game, including alternative therapies for confidence building. For example, did you know that in Sanskrit, the root of the verb to be is the same as to grow or to make grow? I did not know that. How very interesting. Jets fans all over Canada are hoping it succeeds. Speaking of Canada, today's musical interludes are field recordings by indigenous, lesbian, repurposed percussion and penny whistle duo Nefertiti's Took from Nunavut Province. Folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey. Here we go. Don't quote me on it. <laughs> okay, I won't quote you. 
but it's a seven-game series, and, and there's no secret that the the Winterhawks and the Thunderbirds don't like each other. It, it's no different than yeah. when the Sonics and the Trailblazers played, although this is minor league as opposed to NBA. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in this series, Otto? What's going to go on? Uh, you know, it's these two teams when they get together, there's there's no love lost. You know, uh, you, you know, both both sides have had uh, you know really you know kind of bad bad blood because of you know on ice action. So uh, it's it's going to be tough. You know, Portland has a really really strong uh, first two lines. Um, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Um, he, he's just—I think he leads the WHL in goals right now. So Portland has a really strong front two lines. Seattle has a really strong uh, line. I think Seattle might have a little more depth overall. I think our third and fourth lines are a little bit better, uh, but definitely Portland's first two lines are—you are, are, know—I think their strength. Um, you know, I think Seattle to Seattle to have a chance that you know they need to be disciplined. Um, you know, play physical, play play tough, but don't kind of cross that line and, and don't start sitting in, in the sin bin. Um, you know, no, we you want don't want to get better. Well, yeah, <laughs> we want to interview them in the sin bin, but we don't we don't we don't want them to sit in the sin bin. Um, but yeah, right. don't uh, you know? Don't give Portland any more opportunities to score goals in that power play. You know, I think I think um, or, or I think. Cozen, you know, he was just nominated as uh, uh, on the first team for uh, number one uh, number one goalie in WHL, the West Western Western Division, and I think he's up for uh, against um, Kristen Jerry, I believe, as the the best goaltender in WHL. So, you know, you know, Cozen's definitely one of the strength, strengths of of Seattle, and uh, I know uh, Seattle's top line with uh, Lipsburg and Grop and uh, Barzell, they're they're really starting to kick it up right now, especially Grop and Barzell has been a really good distributor the last few weeks. So it's going to be a close, it's going to be a close match. You know, I think it's going to go seven. It could go any way. Um, and, you know. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to let you get away with that, though, Otto. I, who, who's going to win this and how many games? Oh, my God. Who am I going to pick? It's got to be, it's got to be Keepers. I mean, that's that's my hometown team. Uh, you know, it's, it's the team that I root for. I'm not just being a homer. I think it's, you know, I, I think Seattle, I think they can be Portland. You know, they have done it uh, several times this year. They just ended the season with, with, with a big win against Portland. So, I, th- I think it's going to be Seattle. I think it's going to be seven games. I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be a really rocking uh, uh, showwear center uh, for our games. All right. Looking at the standings, uh, Portland is the number two seed out of the U.S. division with a 43-23 and 23 record. The Thunderbirds are number three, not far behind at 38 and 25. Uh, other than that, you know what's really great about Portland, Otto? What's that? Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing Portland great about Portland. Portland sucks. Portland sucks. <laughs> that's, that's a chant that happens uh, in the arena. No, I love you know I love Portland. I love people in Portland. But, yeah, it's a um, it's a nice city. It's a it's a nice little town. Yeah, when, you know, when it comes kind, when it comes to when it comes to Right. When it comes to when it comes to hockey, though, Seabirds versus uh, Blackhawks, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick a side. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so that brings us to um, let's look at 
We've got Everett Silvertips facing off against Spokane. Everett is the number one seed in the U.S. division with a 43-20 yeah. and 20 record. Uh, Spokane is the uh, uh, first wild card, and they they came in, oh, my gosh, with a 34-34 and 34 record. So they're, they're yeah. sitting right at 500. Um, yeah. and, and Everett's really good. What do you see happening in that series? You know, you know, I think I think it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a good matchup. You know, um, I think I think Everett has you know Everett has a really stingy defense. They they've only given up 193 goals allowed over the season. Uh, the offenses are kind of comparable. Uh, I know between uh, Spokane and Everett, um, you know Everett only outscored them by I want to say two or three goals, maybe three or four goals. Uh, you know, uh, but the I think I think the key right here the key is. Uh, Forever is they have a great goalie. Um, he didn't start the season as a starter, but this this kid, 16 year old kid, uh, Carter Hart, he's uh, he's really been doing well down the stretch. So uh, I think he's gonna probably get the opportunity to to continue to take this team. Um, uh, and Spokane's goalie, you know, he's he's like the I believe the eighth worst goalie in the WHL. So. You know he's given up uh, goals goals like a two point eight average. So I think I think Everett I think the offense is about even. Uh, Spokane has a really great player in Taylor Yamamoto. Um, he, he's got he's probably he's gonna be likely the WHL Rookie of the Year. Um, but I think in the end I think Everett has a great defense and a great goalie situation. So I think I think Everett's gonna win probably in. Five, maybe six games, but I think definitely Everett uh, is going to take this one. Right. And so we're just focusing here on the U.S. division teams. There's actually uh, several other series happening uh, alongside these that we're not going to really cover tonight. But this brings us to the key matchup, the mighty, mighty Tri-City Americans <laughs> versus the also-ran Kelowna Rockets. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I, why are you laughing? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> now let me let me on, let me talk. Let's talk <laughs> records here. Now on the surface, Kelowna appears to have the the advantage. They have, you know, a, you know, meager fifty three and thirteen record uh, for the number one seed in the BC division. Uh, whereas Tri Cities, well, well, they're thirty one and thirty eight. A <laughs> little bit lower on the totem pole than Kelowna. But no, in all seriousness, is there any way that Tri Cities can win this series? You know, uh, the Rockets—they have—they have several players that are going to be likely drafted, and you know, in, in the first several rounds, they—they—they're um, they, just such a, a rightly tight. You know, they just run such such a tight ship there. Um, they, they've been playing, you know, really well the entire season. I don't, I, I. The only way I could see Tri City giving the Rockets a series is if Comrie just plays out of his mind and it's just and it's just the wall. I just left nothing in. Um, he can do that. I know he just recently got back from from an injury, I believe. Um, but the only way um, they have a chance is if uh, Comrie uh, puts the team on his shoulders and just plays lights out. You know, but it can happen. It can happen. Yeah. So, if, if he has the series of uh, of the ages, and you know the Americans have a few lucky bounces uh, go their way, then it's possible. But 
I think the Rockets are going to likely win in five games, maybe even maybe even a sweep. Yeah. Now here here's what I'm hoping for. As you know, I am uh, I'm, I live close to the Tri Cities, so I've actually gotten to see the Americans uh, three or four times this season. I really enjoyed it. So they're kind of my team. I'm, I'm rooting for them and pulling for them. So here's here's what I'm I'm okay. looking for. Um, I want to see Comrie uh, after Game Seven laying on on the ice in front of the net with a pu- holding a puck in the air and saying, I can't believe this happened, uh, just like Matumbo did in 94 uh, against the Sonics. Wouldn't uh, that be great? Uh, well, you know what? It would be great because then whoever, you know, whoever survives the first round of playoffs, you know, we'll be glad. We'll take, we'll, we'll send a, a, a flower basket to Tri-Cities for taking out the Rockets in the first <laughs> round. So the entire WHL yeah. will, will thank the Rockets or will thank the Americans for doing that for us. <laughs> yeah, that that would be that would be David beating Goliath. Of course, that one actually happened, in my opinion. Uh, but that that would be among if, if you're comparing it to major upsets in pro sports or in, or in in amateur, that's probably uh, USA versus Russia. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe, well, maybe not, not. Maybe not to that level. They were actually I mean, USA was, were was really good, but uh, that. Yeah. It, it's a minor league upset, but it would be a huge upset if the Tri City Americans yeah, beat if, the Kelowna Rockets. If, if, right. If you if you you know if you looked at that that USSR team, that team beat NHL All Stars, <laughs> and so so the US team, they're a team of, of of a bunch of college kids, they beat a team of professionals that beat NHL stars. So you know yeah. that was a Herculean effort. But yeah, you know what. Go Americans in the first round. That's all I can say. That's what I, I say. Every, That's what I say. Yeah, every every Tips fan, every Portland fan, every Spokane Chiefs fan probably saying the exact same thing. Go Americans. Yeah. yeah. That may be the first t- time that the Chiefs fans have ever said that. Speaking of which, what you know what's yeah. really great about Spokane? What's that? Even less. They, they got less going for them than Portland does. Hey, you know what? I I love the in Spokane. They have that uh, Northern Quest Casino. Absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, it, it should be fun. Um, I'm going to see if I can figure out a way to get to one of these games for the Americans um, because, you know, I'm a sadist. <laughs> uh, hey, you're you you're know, but you know, uh, they, so come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't I have to be? But I'm also a Minnesota Wild fan, so not hey, totally yep. a status. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. I want to thank everyone for hopping on with us. I want to thank Otto for being my co-host once again. I want to thank uh, John Sloan for hopping on with us and talking about the Roosevelt uh, Community Sports Center. And we're going to hope that, that that project gets off the ground and happens. Um, once again, I want to thank Steve Stearns for producing and editing the, the sound segments that, that we throw into the show. And once again, I want to thank the voice talent that, that created those, uh, Mr. David Anthony Lewis, Tiffany Awika, for her work on that. Um, so once again, I want to thank everyone for, for listening to us tonight. And uh, we're going to be back on our regular schedule this next week. We're going to be back on Tuesday night. And uh, we're going to have a good time then as well. 
So in the meantime, I hope everyone has a great night, and we'll we'll talk to you next week.